This is One in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. One in 59 is a weekly show devoted to topics related to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And this morning, I am very excited to be speaking with Jennifer Coulter and Sarah Thompson, both from the New York Transit Museum. And Jennifer and Sarah, good morning. Thanks for being on the show. Good morning. Thanks so much for having us. We're happy to be here. Great. Well, I am always happy to, uh, to use this show as a platform to help our listeners learn more about great opportunities for recreational and educational opportunities for their loved one on the spectrum. But what I always find is as I'm talking to people that I'm interviewing the show is that I learned something. Um, and, and in this case, I'm going to start by saying I'm learning that there is a New York, New York Transit Museum. And I, I'm hoping that as you introduce yourselves in a second, that you'll also give an overview about the museum itself and some of the history, uh, where it's located so that um, everyone listening has a better sense of, of another opportunity to go learn something and have some fun in our area, and um, and then we can get into some of the specialized programming that you do. Wonderful. So, Jennifer, why don't we start with you? Can you introduce yourself, mm-hmm. give us your title, talk about what you do with the museum, and, and uh, what we're going to talk about today? Sure. So, my name is Jennifer Calter. I am the Assistant Deputy Director for Education and Public Programs at the New York Transit Museum. I oversee a roster of programs for a range of audiences. We see over 30,000 school kids every year. We have tours for children that are ages pre-K through high school and then into college. So we see a number of students every day coming for programs that relate to their curriculum and standards. We also have a lot of programming that Sarah oversees that are part of our access programs, which include the programs for uh, children with autism spectrum disorder and also a range of adults that also are coming to us for some of those programs. And we also have a lot of programs for families who are coming on their own, uh, for kids that want to come and drop in and participate in something while they're at the museum with the adults that are bringing them. And in addition, we have a whole range of programs for adults that take people into the system. So we have vintage trains that go out around the city and one can purchase a ticket and ride a 1930s train, for example, and go to different destinations around New York City. That so is cool. Are, that is so cool. That makes me, that sounds like a party waiting to happen or something. I feel like I'm <laughs> going on like an Agatha Christie novel or something. That's cool. <laughs> so there's, some, there's a little something for everyone, depending on who you are and what you're interested in. All right. Well, obviously, we now know that I'm interested in Agatha Christie. I don't know. I haven't. <laughs> I haven't thought about that in years, but I, I love that. That's really cool. So there's really something for everyone. And Jennifer, just before we go to you, Sarah, Jennifer, where is the museum located? So the museum is located in downtown Brooklyn. We're on the corner of Forum Place and Skimmerhorn. And the museum started a little over 40 years ago. It was started by transit workers, and it was only meant to be a several-month exhibit of some vintage trains in a decommissioned 1930s subway station. So that is our home. We're in a historic site in downtown Brooklyn. And we have these amazing vintage trains that are on our platform level that change out so you can see different trains depending on when you come. And we also have a mezzanine level with rotating exhibitions that tell the history of New York City through the lens of transportation.
Foundation, and then a, a rotating uh, roster of exhibitions that focus in on a number of different topics. So, for example, right now we have an amazing exhibition that looks at the history of comics and how they are related to the transit system and all of the different comics that use the transit system as a location for their stories. We also have an exhibition right now that focuses on wayfinding and map making in New York City transit, and that's called Navigating New York. So you can really find a whole range of different types of objects and collections items and exhibits when you come to the museum in downtown Brooklyn. Very, very cool. And Jennifer, what? how long have you been with the museum, or what's, what's your background? How, how did you get here? I am very new um, and very happy to be here. I've only been at the museum for about six months now, and I am a museum educator by training and art historian, so I've been working in the field of museum education for almost 20 years, primarily in New York City museums and working with all audiences from early childhood kids to adults and seniors. I have been at a number of different museums that uh, mostly are art museums in the past and some history and children's museums, and now I am here and really excited to be working with these objects at the Transit Museum. All right, very cool. I I have a number of questions. But before I jump in there, um, Sarah, Sarah Thompson, uh, you are the special education and access coordinator at the museum. And can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background and also a little bit about specifically what you do there now? Yeah. So I worked in a school for children with multiple disabilities for over nine years and decided I wanted to take all that experience that I had learned there and bring it into the museum world. So I studied for my master's degree in museum studies and interned and volunteered at different museums focusing on access. And then I found my way to the New York Transit Museum, which was very exciting because they already had such a robust access program that I was very excited to take over. So at the museum, I oversee everything that has to do with accessibility. So that would include our access programs, you know, for children through adults, as well as school tours and adult group visits and just the general accessibility of the museum, of course. Okay, great. So so you work, I mean, obviously the, a main part of your title is access. That that always means to me that basically you're, you're trying to make sure that there's something for everyone, that, that nobody who's nearby or maybe coming from far away to, to have this experience feels like they can't come in through the doors. That's exactly right. Okay, great. Let me ask a, the, the, the first overarching question. Okay. Why, based on both of your backgrounds, obviously you're both sort of educators. Uh, I have a similar background. So I understand when, when you start off as an educator in any capacity, you develop a deep understanding as to the importance of exposure and experience for children starting at very young ages. And it sounds to me like you've carried that through here to the, to the Transit Museum, which is, uh, you said you, the youngest children you typically see are like pre-K age, right? And actually even younger. So that is the youngest school group that we would see. But we also have early childhood drop-in programs for caregivers and parents who might be bringing kids on uh, weekday mornings or weekends. One of the programs is called Transit Talks, and sometimes we see kids as young as 18 months in that program. Which is fantastic. And interestingly, as related to the autism spectrum, uh, 18 months is uh, usually some of the earliest ages where you might see somebody diagnosed on the spectrum. But again, going broader first, trains and 
transportation is one of those things that speaks almost to every child at some point. And sometimes it mm-hmm. goes through somebody's lifespan. It becomes something they really enjoy because it's so interesting and there's such a rich history. Plus, then you add things like tunnels and train stations and bridges and, and just the differences in how, you know, they, they move. It, it gets it, it, it can be very exciting. So so can you give me a sense of I guess maybe, Sarah, this one's for you. Give me a sense of what let's start with an individual family coming through and we'll get to the school groups in a little bit. But for an individual family, you can probably relate having worked in schools that families often feel isolated when they have a loved one on the spectrum. They often feel like they can't leave their homes for fear of embarrassment or challenging behaviors or it's going to be overstimulating or it just might get very difficult in a number of ways. So what should a family expect if they are to bring their child who's on the autism spectrum uh, through the doors of the museum, what, what happens? So when they come to the museum, first I would suggest that they visit our website and look through the social narrative and, you know, the different access components that we list on our website. The museum like Jennifer was saying, is a decommissioned subway station. So it's not your typical museum experience. The, you know, the lighting is different. There's a lot of echoes throughout the space. Parts of it aren't climate controlled. So to be prepared for those things, I would suggest when that family comes to the museum that one of the first things they do is check out one of our sensory-friendly toolkits where they could then grab a pair of noise-reducing headphones, which would help with those echoes and if it's a really crowded day, as well as a visual schedule because the museum, you know, can be overwhelming. You know, there's a lot of different things to see. So with the visual schedule to put together your own idea of what you want to see, get an, um, an idea of what's available, including, you know, in that schedule we have for bathroom and lunch break for them to put in as well. And I really like our schedule because you can move the pieces around when you're putting together schedule as well as when you're finished so that there's that both visual and tactile reinforcement of what you're doing and then when something is done. Ah, um, yes, you know. I, I can relate to that, to the finished. That finished pile is very is very important, and I agree with you on the visuals. Before we get too much further, you mentioned the website. Can you share the website so that people know right now where they can go? Because I like the idea of a social narrative. It's very helpful to be able to plan and prepare and then see it in real life after you've planned and prepared. So wh- what is the website? To find the social narrative, the website would be nytransitmuseum.org slash accessibility. Okay, so that's nytransitmuseum.org slash accessibility. Okay, great. So I want to encourage all of our listeners to to go to that website and get more information. But everything you've touched on, Sarah, makes sense to me as somebody who works specifically in the field of, of serving children with and adults with autism is that social narrative, being aware of things like lighting, the echoes, the fact that it might be chilly in the wintertime or it might be uh, a little bit more warm than usual in the summertime because of that lack of climate control, um, and that you have sensory-friendly toolkits. I love that. So in in addition to noise-canceling headphones, which a lot of individuals benefit from who are on the autism spectrum because of that overstimulation factor, what else might you find in one of those toolkits? So um, in addition to the headphones and the visual schedule, there would be uh, suggestions of quieter spaces in the museum. They're not designated quiet spaces, but they're what we find typically are the quieter spaces. And so if somebody's looking for a space where they just need to take 
take a break. Those might be good places to check out. Mm -hmm. As well, again, as the social narrative, if someone hadn't gotten a chance to read it or they need to revisit it to, you know, remind them of what they're going to be seeing or doing. We keep that in there. In addition, if somebody needed something like a fidget, for example, we don't keep those in the toolkits, but we certainly have them in our education center. And so someone could always ask a staff member to grab one of those for them if they think it would benefit them. Okay, so all things that make sense, the noise-canceling headphones, the social narrative, if you hadn't had a chance to use it, or sometimes some individuals might just feel more comfortable having it again, even if maybe they've memorized the whole thing. It's that comfort and security and the confidence that it's going to be okay. Quieter spaces, I know, is definitely key, and the fidget toys all, I think, will make a huge difference for families and individuals coming in to visit the museum. You, We're going to take a short break in a minute. When we come back, I want to follow up, and either of you can, can respond to this, whoever wants to. Um, you also are referencing things like anybody can ask any staff for the fidget toys or talk to anybody. I want to get into what kind of training the people who work at the museum have gone through or what the expectation is in terms of how they interact with families who are bringing a, a child or a loved one of any age uh, in through into the, the space uh, who might be on the autism spectrum. I think that's really important. So we're going to take a short break and then we'll come back and, and hit that point as well. This is 1 in 59 the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. Did you know that 1 in 59 people are diagnosed with autism? Perhaps you know and love someone impacted. Here at Anderson Center for Autism, we'd love to help. Our mission is simple, to optimize the quality of life for all we serve. So what does that mean exactly? It means that we customize education and therapy plans to help each student and resident soar. It means that we hire top professionals who know how to unlock potential. It means that we utilize technology and evidence-based practices to cultivate unique strengths. And most of all, it means that we bring unwavering optimism and and compassion to every person with whom we work. In every moment, we see an opportunity to bring our mission to life. In our classrooms, our residences, our recreational and vocational skills centers, out in the community and along the paths of our beautiful campus. Whatever the backdrop, at the heart of all we do is an unmatched commitment to optimizing the quality of life for people with autism. We love our work and we're here to help. Learn more at andersoncenterforautism.org. That's andersoncenterforautism.org. Welcome back to 1 in 59 the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and I'm speaking with Jennifer Coulter and Sarah Thompson, both from the New York Transit Museum in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and we've been talking this morning about some background, some history of the museum itself, your roles there, and some of the accessibility aspects specifically for people on the autism spectrum, whether they're coming in independently or with their family members or with the school group. And now, Jennifer, I want to ask you to speak a little bit about the training that, that the staff are provided to help make these accessible programs function and, and be sustainable, as well as getting into a little bit more depth on some of those specialized programs, such as the award-winning Subway Sleuths program. So take it away, Jennifer. Great. One of our partners, our close collaborators, is the New York University NYU NEST program. And when we first started developing some of these intensive programs for kids with autism spectrum disorders, we were partnering with them in order to really learn from them and gain their expertise. And they were instrumental in providing training to our staff to help us understand how best to craft these programs and experiences. And there are there are really a number of different ways that museums can go in terms of developing programs for this audience. And one of the things that I think makes our program, our after-school program called Subway Sleuth, so unique is that we do have this, this intensive training with NYU. And we 
also have speech pathologist, special education teacher, and a museum educator working together on a weekly basis to implement some of these programs. And Great. So, so there's a tremendous amount of collaboration. There's a lot of collaboration. Good. And, and I think some of, because we have that much collaboration and because we're working so closely with them, that training really spills over into how we're working with this population every day. And so it helps inform how the staff might be welcoming and greeting individuals that are coming to the museum, even when not participating in a program. Sarah Thompson is obviously doing a lot of training with our part-time educators to make sure everyone is well-equipped to be able to welcome the population to the museum any day of the week. So it's really important to us to make sure everyone feels prepared who is on frontline staff in order to best welcome people and make sure everyone has the best experience possible in the museum. Well, that sounds fantastic. And and you mentioned every day of the week. So the museum is open seven days a week? We're actually closed on Mondays. Okay. We're open Tuesday through Sunday. All right. Well, fair enough. Everybody gets to get a day off. <laughs> um, so six days a week, Tuesday through Sunday. Yes. And is there a cost of uh, to, to enter the museum? There is a cost for general visitors. It's $10 for adults, $5 for students and seniors. Okay. So very reasonable. And I always find, you know, giving money to, to a museum of any kind is really uh, a feel-good thing. I mean, without it, it doesn't exist. So um, so I would encourage people to check it out and, and, to, um, and, and to come for a visit to the museum, whether you have a loved one on the spectrum or not, or an educator or not. It sounds like just a really cool, amazing experience. Sarah, can you share with us a little bit of detail about the Subway Sleuth program and any of the other special? educational programs that you oversee? Sure. So Subway Sleuth is a very unique program. As Jennifer mentioned, every session of Subway Sleuth is facilitated by a special educator, a speech language pathologist, and a museum educator. And typically a session has about six students in it. So although we are not giving one-to-one support, certainly it's a favorable ratio. And so Subway Sleuths is actually a semester-long program. So a group would be coming for the same students in the same group would come for 10 sessions over the course of a semester. And in those sessions, it would always begin with us first checking in with each other. We always would be in the same location in the museum every time and go over our visual schedule, which is a lot of fun because it includes a subway car that we move from stop to stop or station to station on the schedule. And so we would do two activities, and those activities would focus, obviously, on transit because that's the specialized interest that we're using to motivate our students to practice them, their social and communication skills, which are the goals of the program. So that might include playing a card game like Go fish, except we call it go sleuth. So they need to be asking questions directly to each other Great. and taking turns. It would also include a simple game called hold the pole, where we're on a subway car and we say hold the pole, hold the pole if you love riding the subway. And everybody who loves riding the subway would stand up and hold the pole together so that we're seeing that we're all making connections and we're seeing what we might like or dislike, what we might have in common. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, um, it's, sometimes simple stuff is so, so much the perfect answer. You know, I lo- I, I'm reacting, as is Jay here in the studio, we're reacting to simple uh, or go sleuth because it's taking a game that is so known to so many people and adapting it to your program. But it's something that, that by and large, everybody can participate in. So great idea. What kind of results are you seeing? We get great feedback from families who just, well, first of all, love that there is some place for their child 
to go who loves to talk about trains. We often hear all they want to talk about is trains and maybe their typical peers aren't so as excited about it as them. And so they love that they can come here and have that experience where everybody is excited to hear what they have to say. Mm -hmm. So I think just that appreciation, first of all, for their knowledge and interest is a big deal. And as well as we do see throughout the semester, you know, we work on problem solving, collaboration, just sharing experiencing uh, experiences, just sharing a thought that you may be having. We typically see um, an increase of that as the semester goes on. We always ask uh, families to complete a survey for us which reinforces that we're accomplishing those goals for us. That's fantastic. So I have, I have a couple of questions there. Um, when you say you're creating a peer group, I, I definitely can understand that. I've um, We actually have a, a, a middle-aged man, gentleman, who lives with us at Anderson, who's been with us for many, many years, who's definitely, definitely a big train guy. And he's channeled a lot of his, his train enthusiasm into art, which he also creates. And he draws a tremendous number of trains. But when I've watched him interact with his housemates and and, and myself and other staff, it, it can, you know, sometimes it really is clear that what he would prefer is to only ever talk about trains. And it gets to a point where it's hard to carry on what, what we would consider a back and forth conversation, mostly because many of us run out of knowledge. And, and then it's sort of him just talking and, and it's not a reciprocal conversation. So in addition to a peer group, do you also, do you think that a valuable aspect of this program is also introducing these children to an adult who might be involved in teaching? this this group who also has that same level of enthusiasm about transportation and about trains specifically like does that do you see do you see some reaction on the part of the kids that they're finally in some cases talking to an adult who kind of gets them and gets their interest yes absolutely i would definitely say some of our museum educators are what we would call train buffs and so i think the students do really appreciate when they're able to learn more from our educators because as you said they are extremely knowledgeable already and you and me might run out of uh, the train knowledge but our educators are of course are experts on the history of the transit system in New York City and even sometimes we bring in special guests as well it might be one of our other museum educators who's a real train buff or it might be the um, YouTube star DJ Hammers they get really excited when they get to interact with adults yeah. That well, and, and, and also, you probably know that there's there's a problem that we face in this country, and probably in many other countries, of employing and having vocational opportunities, whether paid or not, uh, for adults on the autism spectrum. And what you may be introducing them to is an opportunity for a career path based on an extreme level of interest and enthusiasm and, and knowledge that they may have not even been aware was there. So so from there, I'm going to ask you in the last couple minutes of our interview to talk a little bit, either one of you, about what are your hopes for the future of this program? Do, do you see it growing, changing, taking on any new any new avenues? What, what, you know, what do you see in the next five, ten years? One thing that we just launched this past summer, in the first few months that I was here, it was very exciting to see. It was a program called Transit Quest, which was one of the next steps, I think, in the evolution of this program. So Transit Quest was an intensive week-long program modeled on what we do with subway sleuths during the semester, but condensed into one week, all day, every day for a week. 
And the population that we served in that program was an older one. So these were teenagers. And we did it at the end of the summer, right before school, to help with some of the summer slide of social skills that you often see with some students on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so that was really exciting to be able to launch that this year. And it's something that we are certainly hoping to do every summer moving forward. And so I think that's one really great step after so many years of a successful after-school program for the younger students in elementary school to be able to create a a, a new type of program for older kids. And we actually had a couple of returning subway sleuths that participated in Transit Quest. So again, it's offering opportunities for some of those students that have been with us in this intensive program to come back and participate uh, when they're a little bit older. So thinking about the scaffolding of those experiences and how to continue to best engage this audience that we've started to engage when they're in second to fifth grade. So I, that's think, I, think that's, I think that's fabulous. I'm sorry, I have to, I have to, we have to finish up. I know there's probably okay. more, but I guess okay. my my final thought here is really that you're doing something that is not only a really unique, very cool, kind of different um, approach to working and, and uh, working with and educating individuals with autism, but also just about accessibility to something really interesting and a huge part of New York history for all. But um, but you're also, it sounds like you're creating a model for this type of educational experience. And I love that. And and on behalf of, of those of us who work um, and care very much for people on the spectrum and their families and the opportunities they have to engage with their communities. I just want to say thank you to both of you for having this vision and, and, and pushing it through. The summer program also sounds fantastic because as we know, as children age and get into those high school years, there's less and less uh, available to them right now in terms of social and recreational opportunities that help build those skills. So what you're doing is phenomenal. I want to remind everybody to visit the website, which is New York Transit Museum, nytransitmuseum.org slash accessibility for those of you who want to go directly to the, the area where you can find that, uh, that social narrative and information about these particular programs. Sarah Thompson and Jennifer Calter from the New York Transit Museum, thank you so much for being on the show. I encourage everybody to go to the website, learn more. And as this program bro- grows, please come back on the show and tell us more. Thank you for having us. It was great to be here. This is One in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski. And remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to One in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at the same time next week.